All right, welcome in hockey fans in the desert southwest. It's another episode of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Scott Strandy joining you live from Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host will be joining us in just a minute from North Phoenix, Arizona. Seth Askelson will be with us. Um, folks, this is week eight by my count of the uh, the quarantine, the uh, stay-at-home order, whatever. We're uh, here in Arizona. We're still looking at another, um, what, 11 days? But uh, things are getting a little relaxed. Things are beginning to open, and, and things are beginning to happen just a little bit around the area. So that is a positive thing. As we look forward, though, um, we're still talking hockey. My co-host, Seth Askelson, has joined me from North Phoenix, Arizona, I believe. Seth Askelson, how are you tonight? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing better than could be expected, Seth. It's week eight of the uh, stay-at-home order, and we still got 11 days to go officially, but things are starting to open up a little bit, so we're happy about that. Yeah, that's good. I, I, things opening up slowly. I'm not sure what the time frame is going to be in terms of hockey, but i um, got to focus on the positives, right? And uh, we'll see. Absolutely. Well, our guest tonight, Jesse Granger with the uh, Athletic Las Vegas, also a correspondent for the NHL Network uh, doing Vegas stuff, is going to join us here in about oh, 15 minutes or so. And uh, Jesse very much dialed in. I, I call him the best uh, or the most dialed in reporter in Vegas. So he has a lot of inside information and his resources with the athletic also are very tied into the NHL as well as other sports. So we'll look forward to having, uh, have a Jesse on and talking some hockey with him. But in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, you know, just trying to stay safe, doing some side work, uh, to make a little extra money. I'm doing Instacart. So, um, you know, just trying to find ways to bide some time. Luckily enough, I uh, still do my master's program over at Ottawa University. So uh, still getting a chance to keep my mind sharp and learn some new things in the business world. And uh, who knows, Scott, once Ice Time Hockey Southwest takes off even more than it has, uh, hopefully all of my MBA and then uh, I can, you know, help, and then, you, and then I can't afford help you, you grow so that... and more. Uh, well, Scott, you know, you've, you've done so much for me in this past year in terms of my journalism work and, and getting me the access and giving me a platform to, to really showcase my content. So, um, you know, I'm more than happy to, to continue writing for you as long as I can and, and even beyond if possible. Oh, we definitely look forward to that. Um, you know, I had a chance to go up to Vegas on Friday, uh, Seth. I made a trip up there, about a 13-hour trip uh, up and back. And uh, I wanted to go up there and see for myself just how the building was continued. I kind of made a, a conscious effort, if you will, to set the month of May up as what's happened. You know, we know things have been on a pause, but they really haven't. I mean, when you go to Vegas and you see the building construction that's been going on up in Henderson on the uh, the facility, and you see the uh, the other things going on. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it's no games, but behind-the-scenes stuff is still going on. I mean, the city council approved a bond measure uh, that we talked about a while ago. So Vegas is still building. Uh, every night or every Wednesday night when we talk uh, club hockey, we hear of recruits coming in uh, for club hockey. We talk about NCAA hockey on Tuesday nights, and, and Paul and I talk about, 
all the recruits and the potential building going on at, at Arizona State. So while there's no games being played, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, isn't there? Yeah, and I think especially for Vegas, it, it's one that has to continually keep growing. And obviously the on-ice success has helped a ton. But like you said, the commitment that they had to make to the NHL to build new rinks and um, with the American Hockey League coming in, you know, coming up very soon, that, that clock is ticking pretty quickly. I think with Vegas, the you know, you can't you, – obviously you have to slow down according to the virus, but when it comes to building, you got to keep going. And, you know, Arizona is at a point, I think, where it's kind of hard to get new rinks. Obviously the new one being built uh, up north near the new 303 and the I-17 where they meet. Uh, but for Vegas, they're just growing. And uh, it, it's good to see, right? I think with how successful Vegas is, it, it really helps the case for the Coyotes, right? I think a lot of people have thought, oh, well, they're the only team in the desert Southwest. And, you know, the with LA and Anaheim having success, I don't know if that directly affects the Coyotes, right? Because LA is a huge market and Anaheim is, has won a cup. So with Vegas being successful and growing, I think it also – can boost the Coyotes image in the sense of, okay, well, if it works in Vegas, why can't it work in, in Arizona, a place that has the fifth largest population. So um, it's good to see that Vegas is continuing to grow. And I think it, it will help the Coyotes as well down the road, even though they're still, you know, they're not necessarily building new rinks. Uh, they're still building a new fan base. And, um, you know, basically the way I see it is if it works in Vegas, why can't it work in Glendale? Yeah. And you know what, the other thing that I look at uh, Seth is, I look at a competition, right? Because uh, how do they say that? A high tide rises all ships. Well, if if Vegas continues to grow and people see how that's going, that just uh, – and I joke with Chad Berman down at the U of A and, and UNLV's uh, Anthony Vigneri-Greener about the arms race that they're in is trying to put the best club teams in, in all of ACHA hockey together. Well, that's the same thing with Vegas and Phoenix, I think. If Vegas grows, then, then Phoenix wants to match them or outdo them, if you will. So hopefully that's what's going to happen here, that it's going to become a very competitive um, rivalry. It's going to kind of stink when they uh, move the Coyotes to the central. But, it, you know, in the meantime, let's just build a rivalry, you know, whether it be at uh, at the, the 16U level or the 18U level or, or college or whatever it is. I think the rivalry is good for the growth. Well, that's the thing is, yeah, and in, in terms of National Hockey League, yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit different because the Coyotes aren't going to play the Knights every year. But like you said, when you talk about the youth level, uh, what's the closest city that has hockey for, you know, the Junior Coyotes, for the Bobcats, for Mission? It's going to be Vegas. So, yeah, while it might not grow a rivalry in terms of the NHL, which to me for a rivalry, I think the less times – you play somebody as weird as it sounds. Now, now hear me out on this one. The less times you play somebody, the more intense it can be. And that's, you know, the Coyotes move to the central, they'll see Vegas three, four times a year. And if those three or four times are unbelievably intense and, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. That could be the same thing for this rivalry, right? Like if they have one intense matchup, well, everybody's going to be waiting those two or three months, just hoping those teams get back together. I mean, I think you see it with, you know, you saw it with Calgary and Edmonton, right? I know they're in division and they play a little bit more, but with these expanded divisions and these expanded teams, I think a lot of teams in their division, you you know, for some opponents, you only see them four or five times, which isn't too much different from 
what you see, you know, cross divisional matchups. So, you know, if the Coyotes and the Knights play four times a year, even that's still enough to, to get some fires, you know, lit underneath each un, underneath each other, excuse me. And, you know, it's, uh, I think at a certain point, the distance makes the heart grow fonder type mentality there. I think you'll really see a rivalry kick off if these two teams meet in a playoff series and with the Coyotes moving to the central after next season, really the best chance you're going to see those two teams playing each other in a playoff series is going to be in the Western conference finals. And right. I mean, we've seen teams who, you know, at a division really start to hate each other. I think Boston and Tampa for a little bit, there kind of build that rivalry. Um, even though now they are in the same division, you know, prior to this, ex- you know, the, the switching of conferences for Detroit and Columbus and all that, uh, you saw those two teams kind of develop a rivalry in the early 10s, right? They had the Eastern Conf- that seven-game Eastern Conference Finals epic in 2011 that the Bruins won, ended up winning the Stanley Cup Final. Like, you'll start seeing some of these rivalries really develop out of division, and I think the Coyotes and the Knights might be one of the first ones. Yeah, and like I said, you can always use ice sheets because whether it be the, the NHL level, the AHL level, whatever level you're talking about, the more ice you can have just means the better your programs are going to get because you're going to be able to get more kids on the ice at younger ages. You're going to be able to develop, uh, you know, followings for their NHL or AHL teams as it may be up in Vegas. Now there'll be two groups, right? There'll be one that'll be Vegas Golden Knights. We'll ask Jesse again. I think he might have a little insight too when he comes on about what this team name for AHL affiliate is going to be. I, I, I've been calling them the Silver Knights, but he, he might very well have a, a better idea of what that name is. So we'll check in with him on that one as well. I also want to throw up before he, uh, before he jumps on with us is to, to tell you that he was uh, a semifinalist yesterday in the, the Clause for Cause, I believe it was, uh, fundraiser, the Flip Cup Tournament. Uh, <laughs> and I know he had a lot of fun on it, so we'll get uh, pick his brain on that, see how good he was at that as well. But uh, just a little background on Jesse. He's a... Uh, a Las Vegas native, I believe. He's uh, He worked at the uh, Las Vegas Sun-Times, did sports over there as a sports writer, and then uh, got the gig with The Athletic and uh, done just a fantastic job of digging in uh, with the Golden Knights. Uh, probably the most, if not one of the most, um, trusted by the players, reporters. So he gets a lot of great stories. It's always fun to visit with them. He's very, very knowledgeable in the game, a goaltender himself. So when we get Jesse on, we'll, uh, we'll plug him for a little bit of everything. But in the meantime, this is going to be a huge week for us, Seth, for, for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, we now are on, I believe, five or six different podcast formats. So you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, of course, on Podbean, where we host. Uh, you can find us on um Let's see, Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play, and I believe you can now find us on iHeartRadio as well. So our podcasts are spread around. There's no reason for you not to listen or subscribe. We also got some giveaways coming up. I've been talking to my friends over at the Summer Skates, and we might have some of those coming up in the very near future where uh, some of our listeners will have a chance to, to win some Summer Skates products. And uh, this week... I think it's going to be our biggest and best week. We've got Jesse Granger on tonight, as I said. Tomorrow night, Paul and I will have uh, Jeff Metcalf from the uh, from Arizona Central and do a little uh, talking about his coverage of ASU and specifically the new building, the multi-purpose building coming up on campus. And then on 
on uh, Wednesday on our uh, club hockey show, Stephen and I will have uh, Jeremy Goldson. Who <laughs> Jeremy, if, if you know anything about hockey in, in Phoenix, Jeremy has got his hands on just about everything at some point from ASU to U of A to Mission to whatever. So it's going to be a great week of, of podcasts. And we're going to kick it all off with Jesse Granger here in just a few minutes. But just your thoughts on uh, hockey in the desert southwest and uh, and how you've seen it grow being an Arizona native, Seth. Yeah, growing up uh, as a kid in Arizona, I was actually, fun fact, I was born on the, on the day of the first ever NHL game in Phoenix. Now, not regular season, but it was a preseason game against Edmonton, September 21st, 1996 at what was then known as America West Arena. Um, so I was born on that date. Um, and so really I got to be born into Phoenix hockey, right? Like I was obviously not at the game. I was uh, in the hospital, but, um, you know, alive technically for the first ever, you know, Phoenix Coyotes game in, in Arizona. And, um, you know, one of those things where, yeah, I got to grow up with hockey in, in Phoenix. And I think it's one that, has some the tight the tale of the phoenix coyotes is a really interesting one uh you know you move from winnipeg to phoenix and there's a ton of criticism but the team comes in they perform really well through the rest of the 90s into the early 2000s and really had some interesting series right the first year they were here they battled anaheim to seven games uh lost at home in overtime um you know then they end up at one point, you know, they play the Red Wings who are in the middle of their dynasty. Then they play the Avalanche who were pretty much in the middle of, you know, their dynasty. They won a cup in 06 and 2001. And, um, you know, like the Coyote, the Coyotes were in the late nineties, early two thousands, they were running into these dynasties, couldn't get out of the first round and then went through a lot of turmoil. I think the lockout hurt really bad. Um, I remember going to when I was at Cronkite, there was a lot of stories being told of, of people you know, saying, yeah, I worked for the Coyotes, but you know, ended up getting laid off because of the 2004, 2005 season lockout. And it kind of turned people away from not just hockey in the desert, but, you know, wanting to work for the organization, getting some of those top people. And, you know, when I uh, SB nation on YouTube, they, they've done a story or a, uh, a series about the Seattle Mariners. And, and one of the stories was about how they were about to move, but then, you know, they couldn't get funding for this, a, a new stadium. And, you know, there was threats that the team was going to get sold and they were going to leave Seattle again. And then they had that, that 95 season where they erased a huge deficit and came back to the win of the division. And they ended up beating the Yankees in the playoffs. And, you know, it kind of swayed public opinion. That's almost what happened with the Coyotes back in 2010, 2011, 2012, right? Like a team that couldn't make money, wasn't performing on the ice, you know, and right as things got tough and, you know, it was easy to give up, all of a sudden this team was making the playoffs, went to a seven-game series with the Red Wings, went to the Western Conference Finals two years after that. Like it almost feels kind of eerily similar of, you know, a team that's threatening to leave and, and can't find stability. And then all of a sudden the on ice product is making people believe. And, you know, obviously the on ice product over the last six, seven years prior to the last couple seasons hasn't made people believe, but it, the way they've run their business and from a business side of things with a guy like Aaron Cohen has really made the belief in the community 
that, okay, this team wants to dedicate itself. They want to apply itself. And um, I think just the timeline of Arizona hockey, it's one that, you know, Scott, you and I, I think we could really do a great, you know, whether it be a video series or a podcast series or even just a written series about what it was like. It's It's been a whirlwind 23, 24 years. And, you know, that's where the Coyotes kind of had a, I wouldn't say, I guess a disadvantage, right? They came in, they had to share a, an arena that was built specifically for basketball. They had cutoff seats, right. you know, but they found ways to make that work. And then they got their arena and that's been a controversy for the last two decades. Whereas for Vegas, it's been almost the exact opposite. You know, this is a, the first ever big four professional sports team in Vegas and they get an arena basically handcrafted for them and they have a diehard day one fan base and they go to the Stanley Cup final year one. Like it's just such a, you know, two different paths to where you're seeing thriving in the desert Southwest. And I think that's where, especially in Arizona, hockey has been dead to rights. It's, you know, been on a, on life support and, you know, looking at the last heartbeat and all of a sudden it, it, it turns the corner and, you know, so hockey in, in Vegas is, you know, it's tough. It's, you know, loyal, it's die hard and, and hockey in Arizona is, is resilient. And that's, I think what you're going to see with hockey in the desert Southwest is you're going to see this resiliency that no matter what happens, no matter how poorly a team is performing on the ice, you're going to see resilience and you're going to see it thrive for years to come. Well, that's a great lead in because we've got our guest on from the athletic, uh, the NHL network correspondent, Jesse Granger is with us. Jesse, how are you this evening? You got Scott and Seth on the line with you. Pretty good. How are you guys doing? We're doing wonderful. I know you're about the busiest guy in, uh, in <laughs> hockey without hockey, but uh, first of all, I understand you're a semifinalist in flip cup uh, right now. So Tell us a little bit about the clause for cause that you were involved in yesterday. Yeah, that was uh, probably the most fun I've had during quarantine. Um, <laughs> re- really, really cool thing yesterday put on by the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, all those girls over there, Allison, Shayna, Sarah Sivian, put on a really good uh, tournament of Flip Cup with a bunch of <laughs> writers. We had a couple hockey players in there, and uh, they raised over $5,000 for COVID-19 relief. So had a bunch of fun, raised some money. I got to beat a Stanley Cup champion in something. Um, it's not – I mean, it doesn't require a whole lot of athleticism, but I can at least say I beat a Stanley Cup champion in something in my life. So I had a great time. You know what? I saw some of that, and, and, and you're selling yourself short on that. You were flipping some cups pretty fast and pretty impressively, so congratulations on that. But before we dig into this big-time big hockey talk, tell our listeners about Jesse Granger. I know you're a goaltender. I know that you used to work at the Review or at the uh, Sun-Times, correct? Right. And, uh, and, and now I call you the most dug-in uh, hockey reporter in Vegas. Well, I appreciate that, Scott. Yeah, I mean, I, I've played hockey my whole life. Um, grew up in Colorado Springs, pretty close to the Olympic training facility out there, and uh, moved out to Vegas uh, in high, my high school years. And I've, I, like I said, I've played hockey my whole life, only been covering it since the Golden Knights, got a team here. Uh, prior to the Golden Knights coming to Vegas, I was covering boxing, some high school football stuff for the Sun in town. We got a hockey team, and I, I covered them from their very inception, from when the team was named to the first games and everything, and then got the job at the Athletic uh, after the first season in Vegas, and uh, love it. Best job ever. 
I was going to ask you about that too before we jump into some real hardcore questions, but just tell me how much fun it is to work for the athletic because they kind of give you free reign, right? I mean, you come up with stories and you're able to get a lot of access. You'll be able to talk to a lot of people. It's just got to be a blast for you. It's great. Um, I've since I started writing when I was in my college years. Still, I've I've always been. Um, I've tended to go towards the long term, the long form journalism. Um, even when I worked for the Sun, I always liked writing the magazine stories for the Las Vegas Weekly the most um, because I think those are the stories that you can put some a lot more time into. You can really, really get in there and write two, three thousand words on something. And at the Athletic, they kind of take that day to day. Transaction stories off my plate and allow me to really write those stories that I love writing. So um, I'm I'm blessed to be able to do that. I'm extremely lucky to have this job. It's also cool at the Athletic, um, just the resources you have. I mean, we have someone covering every team in the league, and they're all the best of the best. And any question you have about any player that gets traded to your team, or that you sign a free agency, or we've got the prospect writers Corey Pronman and Scott Wheeler. It's just so nice to be able to. Uh, reach out to all those people, and my hockey knowledge has gotten a million times better since working at the Athletic, just being around those people all the time. Okay, so you're like the rest of us. You probably heard Seth and I talk, and uh, I came up to Vegas on Friday because I just had to see for myself uh, all the building going on, hockey-related, and I made the comment that, you know, uh, uh, hockey didn't really stop in Vegas, even with the quarantine. But yes, the games and the practices, all that did, but but Bill Foley just kept moving things along, right? I mean, the building kept on over in Henderson. They kept working with the city council for the, the AHL facility. That keeps moving along. So what's it been like for you prodding along behind the scenes? Well, I mean, I'm still kind of doing the same sort of things that I do during the season. Obviously, we don't have hockey to break down, which sucks. Um, but I'm, I'm still talking to the players on the phone, talking to, to Bill Foley on the phone, talking to the coaches and everybody and just trying to – see what everybody's doing, keep updated on everything, try to find little things that I can write stories on. Um, We've had to be creative, but there's still hockey stuff going on. Oh, by the way, I want to disagree with you that hockey didn't stop in Vegas. As a beer league goalie who hasn't played (laughs) hockey and feels like forever, it definitely stopped. And I really, really, really need for it to come back. (laughs) Seth, take over. You got anything for Jesse? Yeah, Jesse, uh, I think the Vegas Golden Knights over the first three years, it's something that I don't think anybody could, could have predicted even if you wrote the movie script in Hollywood. But like you said, you were there from day one. Did you expect how big the Golden Knights would be in Vegas and the success they had? What were your expectations? And I guess how do they compare to what it is now? Yeah, I think I think my expectations were a little higher than the average because I think the, there was a, a lot of skepticism in town um, amongst people in town when, when we got a hockey team thinking, will this city that's not really a hockey town support this team? I think I was a little more optimistic than most, but even I didn't foresee this happening. Um, obviously, a run to the cup finals in year one completely changes everything, but this this city fell in love with this team. And I, we, we kind of knew that this city was starved for pro sports. They've been hanging on to a bad UNLV football team and a struggling UNLV basketball team for the last couple decades and that's all they've really had and they really 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 just wanted something to support other than that other than the two college teams in town and I think it didn't matter what sport it was whatever sport was the first was always going to be the biggest and uh, Bill Foley obviously good foresight for him um, making hockey that sport. Jesse when we talk about 
you know, the growth of it. And, and I joke with, uh, and, and I shouldn't even joke with them, but Chad Berman down at the uh, U of A and their club hockey program, I said, Chad, do you realize that Vegas is going to have five new ice sheets before you get your own? <laughs> it, it just doesn't seem fair, but tell us just how fast and, and how this process has been working for Vegas. They haven't really run into a whole bunch of stumbling blocks, or have they, in getting these rinks built? No, they, it's been it's been smooth sailing. The the only uh, problem is they can't build them fast enough. I mean, I they're already so so they built City National Arena and they built the two ice sheets and that almost doubled the amount of ice sheets in town. And you'd think, okay, that should be enough for a while. But the explosion of youth hockey and not just youth hockey, but all the way up through the adult leagues, the explosion of people playing hockey in Vegas, they they're booked twenty four seven at City National Arena. So they build the one out in Henderson that's that's in the middle of being built right now over by uh, Water Street, and they're already in the plans to build a second one over in Henderson because they're they're already predicting that the ice time in that new one is going to be filled up within the first summer. So. Um, they, the only problem with building ice right now in Vegas is they can't build it fast enough. Well, it's, uh, I mean, you think about that, it's really impressive, but give us a little insight into the AHL affiliate. We all know how great that's going to be for the golden Knights because they're going to have their players so close, uh, in proximity, but, but how big is AHL and how big do you think AHL hockey will get in Vegas? Well, I'll start by saying, I don't think this move is necessarily made to make a bunch of money off the AHL. Um, I that team may be successful. It may not be. There's there's something I don't know how this city's going to support an AHL team because they obviously love the Golden Knights. And when the Golden Knights are good, people are going to want to go to Golden Knights games. And when the Golden Knights are bad, they're probably not going to care about the prospects as much because there's just not as much excitement around it. So I think there are some hurdles as far as filling that arena every night and and making it profitable. But in the end, I don't think Bill Foley and George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, I don't think this move was designed with the intention of let's make a bunch of money off the AHL in Vegas. I think it was our NHL team can improve its operations and it's just the way we do things by leaps and bounds if we can get this team in town. And it's not only the sending up and down, because everyone points to Nick Waugh, and obviously he got sent up and down a ridiculous amount of times, and he spent half his season on an airplane, right? But it's not just that. It's the fact that all the coaches can meet every day, the AHL coaches, the NHL coaches. They can go to their offices after both teams practice, and they can talk. And the head coach, Pete DeBoer, can really, really have a grasp on who's playing well in the AHL, who needs a ch- who needs a chance to be brought up, who maybe can they send down. And I think just having everything headquartered here in Vegas is going to improve the Golden Knights hockey operations. And I think that is the driving factor for this, uh, more so than making AHL big in Vegas. Yeah, really good point. Jesse, Jesse you, you mentioned – Yeah, sorry. Jesse, you mentioned um, – first, I want to go back to you mentioned UNLV football, and UNLV football is kind of a, a scary team around Tempe as they knocked off ASU back when ASU was in the top 15 in 2010. So – um, well, it might be mediocre to, to that city. It's definitely <laughs> a, a scary team to ASU. But uh, you mentioned about, you know, the city was looking for somebody to root for because UNLV basketball wasn't where it had been in the past and UNLV football was struggling. With the addition of the Raiders and how successful the Golden Knights have been through the first three seasons, do you see any sort of support drop-off once the Raiders get going in Vegas? Or do you think 
that it's going to have to take really an, an astronomical drop off in performance for the gold knights before you see a big paradigm shift. Yeah, I don't I don't think the NFL is going to hurt the Golden Knights very much. Um, it's only eight games a season, eight home games a season. And I think a lot of people in Vegas are going to be excited that the NFL's here, but I don't necessarily think they're going to be diehard Raiders fans. I think they're going to be pumped to go to NFL games, but it's not the same type of connection that the Golden Knights have with this city. If there's a sport that can put a dent in the Golden Knights and their attendance and the attention on this town. I think it's the NBA. And we, we all saw the New York Times report a few days ago that uh, Shaquille O'Neal said he thinks a team's coming to Vegas. And there's been a lot of talk about that. And the NBA, obviously, it has the same, a similar schedule to the NHL. They play around the same time of the year. They both play 41 home games. This city was a basketball city before anything else, obviously, because of those running Rebels teams in the 80s and 90s. So I think if there's a sport out there that – if I'm Bill Foley, if there's a sport out there that worries me, it's the NBA, not the NFL. Oh, that's that's well said, and you never really know because, you know, when three years ago when I took a picture of the construction going on at City National, there was no uh, Las Vegas ballpark right behind it. And all of a sudden a year later you come back and – there's a Las Vegas ballpark there. So, I mean, like you were saying, things can happen fast and maybe not fast enough like the ice sheets. But just a little bit off the building talk, let's talk a little bit about the name you brought up, head coach Pete DeBoer. That happened uh, not quite in the middle of this season, but what were your thoughts, first of all, when it happened, and what did you think about him having him as the coach right now? Well, I mean, my initial thought was this isn't real. Um, when, when I read that, when I read that press release, I was in Ottawa and I'm sitting in my hotel room. I'm sitting in my hotel room and I get that press release and it's really early in the morning and it's on the East Coast and it's early for me on the East Coast. So over on the West Coast, it's even earlier. And I get that email and it's Gerard Gallant's been relieved of his duties and Pete DeBoer has been hired. And I'm like, okay, no team fires their coach and hires the rival coach in the same press release. This has got to be fake. There's no way this is real. And obviously at that time, we didn't think Gallant was on the hot seat. So I had to read the email that that came from, the email address, like six times before I believed that it was an actual press release. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was shocking. I thought Gerard Gallant was a hell of a coach. Um, I thought he was doing a good enough job to keep his job, certainly. Um, I think there was parts of this team that were – that were, I don't know, that were an issue. Um, but I don't think he had enough time to rectify it. I think the guy took an expansion team to the Stanley Cup final and had never missed the playoffs, and he probably deserved a little more time to figure things out. But having said that, um, I do see where the franchise was going with it. I think that he and the front office had drastically different views on a lot of things in hockey. Um, from George McPhee to Gallant. And I think that they thought that their views aligned a lot better with Pete DeBoer. And I think in their mind, it was, we have two really, really good hockey coaches in Gallant and Pete DeBoer, who was a free agent at the time. And they just thought that maybe Pete DeBoer fit better with this front office and the type of players that they wanted to bring in a little more than Gerard Gallant did. So I, I understand both sides. Um, but I mean, and the initial reaction was, I can't believe they fired the guy. Let me follow that up by saying the time that they did it, uh, we all know the Golden Knights were on the road, and then there was a there was the All Star break coming up, and there was the the time off. Uh, I don't even know what we want to call the time off, but <laughs> in the in the hockey world, was was that planned? Do you think, or did that come about and just kind of bang bang, or did they? Because we all know uh, what Vegas 
fans thought of the uh, San Jose Sharks and still think of the Sharks, right? And Pete DeBoer being that coach from the previous seasons. Um, do you think that was planned to get that much time and keep him away from the fans for that long or did it just happen that way? Um, I think it was, I mean, I've tried to figure the answer to this out um, unsuccessfully. I think one day we will. I think DeBoer will tell us eventually what happened. Um, I, it, it could be a multitude of reasons why it happened then. I think um, there had to have been some interest in Pete DeBoer from other teams, and maybe that was what forced the Golden Knights' hand to do it at that exact moment. Um, if they weren't going to, if they didn't hire him then, they weren't going to get him. Um, is the only thing, I mean, that's the, that's the most logical answer in my mind, but we may never know why they did it at that exact time. I don't buy the, um, the narrative of they did it when he was away from Vegas because they did it while they were in Canada. And there's, there's more hockey media covering the Golden Knights in Canada than there is hockey media covering the Golden Knights in Vegas. So it's not like they escaped the media by, by announcing a hockey decision in Canada. I mean, Sportsnet and, and everyone is, is right there waiting as soon as they announced it. So I, I don't know if I buy that uh, narrative. Seth? Yeah, well, I guess when it comes to that, if you got to pick a Canadian media city, it would be Ottawa that, you know, people are kind of ignoring it up there. I guess if you had to pick one Canadian media city, but we talked, or I had mentioned earlier, you know, you, it was hard to write the Golden Knights first three years. That's like a, you know, storybook kind of start, but it's almost like a, a super villain movie where you fire your head coach and bring in the guy that was trying to take your head off just a playoff series earlier. What were the, what was the player's response? And, I mean, obviously on the ice, they responded. The Golden Knights started to really pull away in the Pacific Division. But initially, what was kind of that feeling in the locker room for those players that, hey, now we have a head coach of a team that we absolutely despise who was coaching with them literally two months earlier? Yeah, I mean, the initial response was they were pissed. And I, I was actually shocked at how vocal they were uh, about not being happy with Gerard Gallant being let go. And they all kind of blamed themselves uh, saying that they, they got a good coach fired and they, they should have played harder to keep him. And early on, it didn't seem like it was going to be that good of a match between DeBoer and the team. And I think DeBoer handled it really well. I think he came in with some levity. He made some jokes about the five-minute major. He, he said it was kind of like seeing an ex-girlfriend for the first time after an ugly breakup. I think he handled it about as well as you could. But at the same time, like you said, it's th this, this coach was the enemy uh, a few months ago. And uh, I know when he first came in and he was starting to implement his systems, he had to show video of the Sharks um, to the Golden Knights players to show them what he wanted them to do because he didn't have video of any other team playing his system. And the Golden Knights players were not a huge fan of watching Sharks tapes. So obviously after a few games, they were able to get away from that. But initially it was, uh, it was a little bumpy, but I think DeBoer has won over that locker room. I think those guys respect him. He's one of the most veteran coaches in the league. He's been through so much. Um, I think all of that's over now, but initially um, the whole thing was definitely a shock to the system. Okay. So we talked coaching. Let's talk a little bit about players because we all know in that uh, Vegas locker room, there's a lot of uh, character and characters. So give us some insight as to what it's like to be with those guys all the time and, and, and what kind of characters they really are. It's great. Um, I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm lucky that that's, that's a really good locker room to be in. Um, as a reporter, as a player, it's, it's easy to do my job in that locker room a lot easier than it is in some locker rooms. Um, it, it helps to have guys that are great quotes, like 
Nate Schmidt and Ryan Reeves and Marc-Andre Fleury. But then you've also got the guys like Paul Stasny and Max Pacioretty who might not be as funny and might not be as good of a character, but they really think the game at another level. And not only do they think the game at another level, but they are able to verbalize what they see on the ice. And I just know that anytime I'm writing a story about something technical that's happening on the ice, even if it's got nothing to do with Paul Stasny, I'm still going to go ask Paul Stasny what he thinks about it because chances are he's going to tell me something I didn't know. Um, I, I love talking to Paul Stasny about anything I can because he's just – obviously his dad is a huge reason for that. Um, but he's just such an, a student of the game. And, and it, you can't talk hockey with Stasny for more than a minute without learning something. So, uh, yeah, they, you've got a wide variety of, of guys in that locker room. And to be honest, there's not really a bad guy in there to talk to. I mean they're all very professional and, and uh, are, are a good quote pretty much every day. You know, we all know about 1 October, and we know what the team meant to Vegas and what the city meant uh, all coming together around such a tragic event. But since that point, uh, the players have really taken over Vegas, if you will. They've, they've gotten involved in almost every aspect of the city off the ice. Tell us a little bit about some of the off the ice stuff. I know uh, some of the guys, are, a few of them bought into that uh, – that restaurant that's not far from City National. Right, yeah, the players' locker with Wolfgang Puck, yeah, yeah Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore, Riley Smith, Derek England. I think those are the guys that did it. But, uh, yeah, I actually went and ate there before this everything got shut down. It was awesome. <laughs> but uh, as far as doing stuff in the community, I think – so, so I grew up in Colorado in the Denver area, so I grew up in a city with four the four major pro sports um, from – birth basically you got the avalanche the rockies the nuggets and the broncos and i so i grew up seeing what pro sports teams do for a community and they're all i mean this isn't only a golden knights thing i mean most pro sports teams are awesome in the community and and athletes love to give back and they do all this stuff and i remember when when hockey was awarded when the nhl awarded a team to vegas i remember saying like there's so much more to pro sports than just the games themselves and I think people have kind of seen that. And, and even the Raiders are getting in on it. They've, they've donated a lot and, and done a lot of great work in the community, and they haven't even played a game here yet. So um, I think pro sports is awesome. Nick Cousins is brand new to this team. He only played a handful of games, and he's already um, ordering pizzas and sending them to hospitals around town. Uh, I saw Alex – or sorry, William Carlson and Ryan Reeves signed hospital gowns to send to people in the hospital – um, they, they're doing a lot of great stuff and, and the team has donated millions to, to COVID relief. So, um, it's just, just, like I said, goes to show how much pro sports can do for a city. Seth, go ahead. You got one. Yeah, Jesse, I think you make a good point about that because I think with the coyotes, they they're starting to realize that being a big part of the community is something important to building their fan base. And, when you talk about the Coyotes, I think you see a, a team that struggled in the desert, whereas with Vegas, obviously going to the Stanley Cup first year, pretty much going to the playoffs the first three years. How, I guess, how important is it for the Coyotes that Vegas continues to be as good as they are? And do you think that the more Vegas succeeds, that the opinion on a team like the Coyotes and even a team maybe like Florida who's had a hard time grabbing fans and grabbing success in Miami for the NHL to say, okay, there's potential here. It's just got to come together on the ice. Right. I think it's proof that if you win, it's going to work anywhere. If you win, um, I think if the Florida Panthers go to a cup final this year, next year, they're going to have a full building. I think same thing with the coyotes, but you have to win. And, and the same thing in Vegas, if Vegas goes through a drought, like the coyotes have had at times, um, 
it's going to struggle here. I don't think it's ever going to struggle to that degree just because the Golden Knights were able to build that diehard fan base because of the winning early on. But I think it shows that if, if the Coyotes can build a winner, um, that, that arena is going to be packed and it's going to be fun. And it's not just a winner. You have to – It's the games have to be fun. I think Vegas has – changed the way the NHL views in-game entertainment and in-arena experiences. And just traveling with the team the last couple of years, I've seen it just in two years. I've seen a change in pre-game shows and just the way teams entertain fans in the arena. Uh, they're trying to step their, their game up and match Vegas. And I think teams are seeing, teams like Florida and Arizona and teams in non-traditional hockey markets are seeing that it can be done. It's not the, it's not the city we're in. It's what we're doing. We need to we need to put a winner on the ice. We need to improve these things. And if we do these things, um, hockey's going to be huge here. Justin, we talk about winner on the ice, and we talk about the way the season abruptly came to a quote unquote pause. Uh, the Golden Knights were on fire <laughs> when this happened, but they were also suffering through some injuries. If you had a magic uh, eight ball and you could look ahead to the future, how do you think the uh, the team would have finished the season and and gone into the playoffs, and that's assuming that there isn't going to be any more. I know that could be coming, but uh, how do you think they were going to do down the stretch? Well, it all depended on health, and like you said, they were they were pretty banged up. Chandler Stevenson had a minor injury. Alex Tuck had just re-injured himself uh, in the middle of his rehab. He had a setback. Mark Stone was out week to week, and Max Pacioretty was injured and was week to week right before the whole thing shut down. So, I mean – Stone and Pacioretty are the two best forwards on the team, so they were going to struggle with those guys out for sure. It was going to be a, a tough stretch to get through, but they had such a good position in the division that I don't think it was going to be a problem to make the playoffs. Maybe they wouldn't have won the Pacific without those guys, but I think they definitely would have been in the playoffs, and and it looks like their their health would have been fine for the playoffs. So I think, as you saw, when they had a fully healthy team there for that little stretch, um, they're one of the better teams in the league, and, and they have – the advantage of playing in a weaker Pacific division as opposed to some of those divisions in the East. Right. And, and obviously even the centrals is, is, is tougher than the Pacific. So I think they had the advantage of letting Colorado and St. Louis and Dallas beat the hell out of each other on that other side of the bracket while they maybe not easier opponents, but definitely not as physical. You play like a Vancouver in round one and they're a very finesse fast team, Arizona, Again, very good team. They've got great goaltending. They play good defense, but they're not going to kill you like Dallas and St. Louis and, and Colorado are going to. So I think Vegas had the the benefit of an, a little easier road, and I think they have a really good team um, that, that played analytically well all season and finally started to get the results at the end. So um, I think they had as good a shot as anyone. All right, so if we look ahead and uh, we know what's, what's happened, we know it's been, what, gosh, going on eight weeks now, I think, if it's my count, but – um, what do you? What does your crystal ball say is going to happen with this season? I know that's really a stretch because there's so many things. But one of the things that was tossed around, at least various media sources, were saying that there could be Vegas could be a place where they would be a satellite spot to play games. Was that was that real or is that real? Yeah, um, I think I was the one of the main people reporting that. Um, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So it's Vegas is definitely being considered, um, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be picked. I mean, from what I've heard, the NHL has at least a dozen cities that they're vetting, and that doesn't mean that they've decided those twelve cities can hold the games. They're just examining those twelve cities. They're looking at all these factors as far as 
the containment of the actual pandemic itself in those cities, as well as hotel rooms, accommodations, ice rinks for practice. Um, do they have the locker rooms in the arenas to host multiple teams? And I think Vegas checks most of the boxes. I mean, Vegas has been hit, no doubt, but not as hard as, as some other big cities. Um, Vegas is obviously built to host a bunch of teams. I mean, in the middle of, in the beginning of March, at any year, there's like eight different college basketball tournaments going on in this city at the same time, and there's no shortage of hotel rooms. So um, they, they play the Pac-12 tournament at T-Mobile Arena, the basketball tournament, so you know that there's locker rooms for to, to have a tournament setting with multiple teams. So I think Vegas checks a lot of the boxes. They've obviously got brand-new facilities, which helps. Um, but there are also things like – there are also questions about Vegas, like – is the ice that they that we have here good enough for an NHL team? Because obviously at T-Mobile Arena and City National, those three ice sheets are plenty good. But the Las Vegas Ice Center is – it's a great facility for public hockey, but it's not NHL quality. And same thing with the Sobe Ice Center over at Fiesta. So um, it's definitely not flawless. And the fact that the NBA is also targeting Vegas as a potential site to finish their games, I think if the NBA picks – Vegas, the NHL is probably going to look elsewhere. You don't want all of that going on in the same building. So uh, Vegas is definitely in the running, and it's one of the cities that they're looking at. But by no means does that mean Vegas is getting the games. All right, I got one more follow-up on that. If you could predict what was going to happen, or if you could, if you were the commissioner and could come out with what you wanted to see happen at this point, would you want to see them finish the season right now, or what would be your thoughts? Well – if I was the commissioner, I would be doing whatever the doctors told me because I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist and those people are way smarter than me. And all this, I mean, I understand about as well as the average person does reading Twitter and reading these stories, but I am by no means an expert. And a lot of this stuff just confuses me. So honestly, it's sports are awesome, but there's so many more important things. It's whatever the doctors suggest, whatever the scientists suggest, that's what I'm going with. Um, I would say this. If you have to shorten next year in order to get a playoffs, I think that's worth it. And I think I may differ from Gary Bettman on that opinion. I think they want the 82 games next year, and that's because he's got 31 owners saying that they want their home attendance full. But I would much rather have a shortened season and be able to have a Stanley Cup playoffs and crown a champion, um, but that's just me. All right, Seth, give him a final question from you, and then we'll wrap things up with Jesse. Yeah, Jesse, when – Scott and I talked about this on our episode last week, but if you were to hold games, say in Vegas or even Arizona, obviously people are going to be aware that these players, these athletes, and, and these games are happening in these buildings. What do you think a plan would look like in terms of security so people aren't, say, gathering outside T-Mobile Arena to try and get a peek or you know, crowding around team buses and tunnels where team buses come in? What does that security look like? make sure that while games are being held without fans, fans aren't trying to crowd around outside just to get a peek. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be difficult. Um, I think T-Mobile Arena and most arenas, to be honest, are are constructed to kind of keep the, the players' parking lot separate. So I think that part would be easy. It would be more of a challenge of, um, I don't know how open or closed these casinos are going to be that these players are going to be staying in. And that was part of the discussion uh, and one of the reasons Vegas works is because there are so many hotel rooms here. Um, I wrote in the story on the intersection of Las Vegas Boulevard and Tropicana Avenue, just those four hotels on that 
on that intersection have 12,000 hotel rooms, which is more hotel rooms than the city of San Francisco has. Um, It's insane. It's an insane number. So because Vegas has so many hotel rooms, um, they could close down a few floors of a hotel room if they wanted to of of a hotel. And, keep those players isolated, which would be nice. So um, what does the security look like? I don't know, and I'm glad I'm not the one that has to come up with that. Um, but I but I always say this. When, when we talk about resuming the season and you talk about an isolated location, it's so much more complex than I think a lot of people understand because people say, all right, you got 20 players on each team. You got a couple coaches. You got a couple referees, a couple cameramen. All right, good to go. But it takes hundreds of people to – run an ice sheet at an NHL quality in an arena and all the equipment staff that it takes. And just like you said, getting players to and from the arena, we're not talking about a few dozen people to, to run an event like this. It's a few hundred, if not a thousand people to do something like this. So it sounds extremely difficult. And again, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to come up with all this stuff. All right, Jesse, Jesse we'll let you, you mention. Oh, go ahead, sir. The, Sorry, just I'm, I'm real quick. I'm just glad you mentioned the amount of people because I've said it on this show a lot. And when I talk to other people, they look at me bewildered when I say, "Yeah, it's going to take a thousand people." Because even if you're going to do a TV broadcast, like you said, you're going to have a bunch of cameramen and producers and broadcasters. And um, I'm glad that somebody who has a, a little more credibility also understands that it's not just a hundred people. It, it, and it, when you think about things like training staffs and media relations people and reporters like yourself, like if those people are out in the building, like it's, it's more like than like you said, than like 48 or 50 people, it's going to be two, 3000 people in that arena alone, even without fans. Yeah, no, hundred. it's like I said, every time I think of it, I think of another group of people that it's going to take. And it's like, it just, it's never ending the, the amount of, of effort it takes to put on an event like that. All right. Final word from me and final word from you, Jesse, is uh, give us a peek at whenever the season starts back up again. What do the Vegas Golden Knights look like? We all we all see the the salary cap numbers and the juggling of people here and there and the that the guys that they acquired at the trade deadline and and we see guys like Jack Dugan and and uh, prospects down the line. But what are the Vegas Golden Knights going to look like when the season starts up again or even next year? Yeah, I mean, I've actually – luckily, this is a great uh, excuse for me to plug my story tomorrow on The Athletic. Uh, I spent all uh, day – Yeah, I spent all day breaking down salary cap numbers. I've been staring at dollar signs all day long. Um, I, I was working on a story basically uh, explaining how it's going to impact the Golden Knights if they leave the salary cap at $81.5 million, if they raise it, a little bit, which is unlikely at this point, or if they drop it 5%, what kind of impact that's going to have on their roster. And I think there are a lot of teams in the league and a lot of GMs that are dreading what next year is going to look like with these salary caps, with all this lost revenue. But I think the Golden Knights are hurting about as bad as anyone. Um, they're, they're not going to have a whole lot of money to fill this roster out after what they've got. And I think you, you brought up some names, Jack Dugan, and, and there are some other prospects like Lucas Elvinus that's kind of close to, to reaching that NHL level, Nick Haig, who played 38 games this year, they're, they're going to need him. I think the Golden Knights really, really need some production out of their entry-level contracts. Um, that's how, in a salary cap world, the way you can build a deep team is you have to have some players that are really good that aren't getting paid very much, and that's usually on an entry-level deal. 
Um, and right now, the Golden Knights are getting basically no production out of entry-level deals. And that's not necessarily their fault. As an expansion team, it took them a while to get their farm system developed enough to, to have kids old enough to be ready for the NHL. But um, I think we're reaching the point where if Cody Glass and Nick Haig and Zach Whitecloud and a guy like Lucas Elvinus or Jack Dugan, if they don't get production from those type of players, um, they're going to they're gonna be in trouble because they've got a lot of guys making a lot of money and they've built a good team doing it, but you still have to have those, those lower-level players uh, producing. Totally agree. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, congratulations again on the semifinalist in the football. <laughs> Thank right you. Because right there is a big honor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, beat a Stanley Cup champion. That's life goals. <laughs> Jesse Granger from the Athletic and NHL Network and, and, and all around Vegas good guy. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon in Vegas. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, folks, uh, let's take a quick break, and Seth and I will come back and wrap things up with you. College Bar and Grill, located across the street from the iconic A Mountain and Sun Devil Stadium and a quick walk from Wells Fargo Arena. College Bar and Grill is your home for the best local craft beer, delicious creative cocktails, tasty food, and Tempe's best atmosphere for Arizona State Athletics. College Bar and Grill, pregame like a pro, postgame like a champion. Online at ilovecollege.co. Hi everybody, this is Jay from OxyPal. You probably know our products for being used on your gear to eliminate the odor and bacteria from your sports gear and, and your gym and all that stuff. Um, in, in light of current events, uh, we have uh, switched up and added a new product to our production line. It's called our Have a Nice Day Hand Sanitizer. Um, it is exclusively for use on your skin, whereas our other uh, products have been exclusively for use on your fabrics and, and, and gear. Uh, this product is available here at my shop. It's available on my website at www.oxypow.com. And you can pick it up or we can ship it to you anywhere in the United States. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails, whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. Hey, Michael.
here from M-Drive. My dad, a world-class scientist, actually made M-Drive for himself to stay active and continue enjoying life. And yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. M-Drive is the everyday supplement to fuel your drive with more energy and more strength. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. Visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just type in the code DRIVE at checkout and find your prime with M-Drive. Behind the Mask Hockey Shop, celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community. Offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you. Visit any one of our three Valley locations or check us out online at BehindTheMask.com. All right, we're back, hockey fans from the Desert Southwest. Scott Strandy with you from Scottsdale, Arizona. Seth Askelson, my co-host over in North Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Seth? Just your thoughts on our conversation with Jesse and some of the insight. Well, Jesse mentioning um, a couple of things towards the end about the amount of, A, the amount of people it takes to put on an NHL game even without fans, and B, about the salary cap for the upcoming year. Uh, Those are two things that I know you're probably tired of hearing me say every week, uh, but I'm glad that somebody with a lot more experience (laughs) and a lot more credibility and a lot more voice has been able to get out in the air. So at least I don't look like a, a complete crazy person shouting at everybody every week on this podcast. Um, but it, it's really good insight, right? Like I think him and Craig Morgan, who covers the Coyotes, those are two guys that when you want to look at professional hockey in the desert Southwest, those are the guys that know best. And especially with Jesse, who has been here from the start, obviously with the Coyotes, that was 23 years ago. It's real hard to find somebody who is – you know, covering the team from the start. I don't know if there is anybody that was on that beat originally. Uh, But for a guy like Jesse to, to see what's happened. And that's a guy that I'm glad I was able to get that question in there about, does this give hope to Arizona and Florida? And, you know, at times when Dallas and Tampa Bay are struggling, obviously that doesn't seem like those two teams have any struggles in sight, but I mean, you saw in the early tens that, you know, Dallas could barely get people into their arena. And when Tampa was on the downswing between you know, 2012 and 2014, like they were struggling to get fans. I mean, even you think about that, right? When Tampa, they made the Eastern Conference Finals in 2011 against Boston, then had a couple down years and then went back to the Stanley Cup Final in 2015. Like between those years, just three years between being a win away from the Stanley Cup Final and two wins away from the Stanley Cup, like their attendance just shattered, you know, went way down because of performance on the ice. So um, I think it's really interesting that, you know, he, he sees that, you know, he's not, obviously he's in Vegas, so he's going to have a lot more positive outlook, but, you know, I feel like sometimes with the coyotes, when it comes to Canadian media and those in the Northeast and uh, you know, it's, Oh, well, you know, that it'll never work. Even if they win, it'll never work. Like I, I think he, he hit the nail on the head. Like, in sports, it doesn't matter where you're at. You could be playing on, on an island in Puerto Rico. If you're going to win the Stanley Cup, the locals and, and the fans are, are going to come out. So um, good to hear that, you know, he can reaffirm some of the things I've been saying and that um, we're really able to give our listeners a, a great overview on, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights. I know you and I both living in Arizona, you get to Vegas more than I do. And, um, you know, so just getting a guy like Jesse in here where, you know, you and I, we get to see the everyday of hockey in Arizona. We live it. You know, I'm sure 
you living in Scottsdale, you probably drive by the ice stand or, you know, even Oceanside every so often you get to see the youth practices and how things are building. And we don't get that experience every day with what Vegas hockey is. And Jesse does. And that's a guy that's really been able to bring great insight to not only Vegas fans uh, across the country and across the world, but into this show tonight. Well, you know what? Uh, nobody will ever say that you don't know your hockey because I know you do. And I love personally to hear your, your talk on the salary cap and the behind the scenes stuff. So never, never shy away from that. My friend, bring that on whenever you can. Um, you know, I, I knew Jesse be good and we got him on. I'm glad I got him on after the flip cup tournament. Uh, so we're going to look and see if we can find another great guest for next week. Uh, in the meantime, stay safe. Um, keep making a few bucks here and there and finish that masters off and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, Scott, hopefully I can get that master's degree and um, you know, it's, it's an MBA. So maybe take a, take a look at the books and see if we can push ice time hockey Southwest to the next level. I mean, Hey, I, wore the the summer skates out uh, in public to go pick up some food a couple days ago. And uh, somebody asked me, well, what's, what's that logo on them? So it's about getting the brand recognition out there, Scott. And look, I'm, I'm shameless when it comes to brand recognition. If I got to wear a, if I got to tape, tape a piece of paper to my forehead to promote the brand, I will. So, well, you you know, I'm I'm the same way, right? (laughs) Yeah. I'm the same way. So have a good night. Thanks for all the insight. Thanks again to Jesse Granger from the Athletic and NHL Network for uh, stopping in with us tonight. Until next week, for Scott Strandy and Seth Askelson, have a good night, folks. And uh, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers will take us away with Hello New Day. <laughs>